Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Economics Design Podcast. My name is Ari Kimmelman. I'm a research analyst with Economics Design. And today I'm very excited to be joined by my colleagues, Atharva Bramicha and Alex Urban. It's great to have them here today as it's their first time coming on the podcast. So thank you two for joining me today. Um, so for, before we begin, it'd be great if you two could please introduce yourselves. Oh, thanks. My name is Atharv. I've worked uh, on the consulting and research sides on economic design before rotating over to the product side as a product manager. I'll complete a year at economics design in January. Uh, my background is in philosophy, politics and economics. I studied at uh, Yale and US in Singapore. Graduated a little more than a year ago. Okay, so I, I've been working at economics design for around uh, six months. I think this is my seventh month now. And my academic background is as a data analyst, I studied at University of Cape Town, and I'm currently working as a data analyst for economics design. Awesome. Um, so today, we're going to be discussing some of the research that Atharva and Alex have been working on. So could you do please begin by giving us an overview of what you're researching and what questions you're trying to answer? So the context of this research is that Alex and I were looking at SushiSwap uh, for a uh, product within economics design. And uh, we realized that, uh, you know, we, we started learning about this concept of uh, firstly arbitrage and arbitrage bots, uh, and then eventually about um, MEV in general, which is uh, which stands for minor extractable value, or these days it's been renamed maximal extractable value, right? So what got us interested is that we realized that um, when it comes to users of a DEX, right, a, a decentralized exchange, it is not primarily just swappers, right? It is also people who are, you know, uh, or, 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 or contracts, bots, things that are trying to extract value, right, from the imbalances in the decentralized exchange. And we wanted to know what is sort of the magnitude, right? How many users uh, actually are, are uh, what, what is the composition of users when it comes to just plain old human swappers versus arbitrage bots? Uh, versus, you know, anyone who is engaging in this, in, in what we would call MEV, minor extractable value. Now, this is important. Um, it's, it's, it's important to understand, you know, how, what percentage of your users are bots, what percentage of your users uh, are being affected by MEV, uh, because it gives you an insight on sort of um, the usability uh, of a particular decentralized exchange. Uh, we get an idea of, you know, who the main stakeholders are. Right. Or we get an idea of um, you know, whether value is being lost because of some of these actors or whether value is being added. So, you know, it, it is commonly known that, uh, you know, the constant product AMMs or, or, or other AMMs, uh, which is automated market makers that form a DEX, uh, require, you know, balancing from arbitrages. So in that sense, arbitrages actually play uh, a positive role. Right. The idea is, you know, uh, if an arbitrager uh, is sort of uh, one of the main set of actors that is, you know, extracting the most value from a DEX, uh, then a protocol, a, a DEX might, um, you know, lean in to cater more to arbitragers than to other stakeholders within that DEX. The other stakeholders being swappers, liquidity providers, so on and so forth. Right. So that's where the, this idea stemmed from, this idea for researching um, and, and, and finding out the first basic question was, yeah, how many arbitrage bots exist uh, on SushiSwap? And we, expand, we expanded that research further and we can get into that later. Great. Um, Alex, do you want to add anything to that explanation there? Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, we basically, my main uh, area of research was just getting the, 
the actual numbers using Dune Analytics um, for arbitrage activity, um, sandwich attack activity, and uh, organic human uh, non-bot activity on um, various DEXs. So the I guess the main dashboard we built was for Uniswap V2, but we also looked a bit at SushiSwap as well. Great. I think it would be beneficial for you to just to briefly explain and define what a decentralized exchange is and what it's used for, as well as what these sandwich attacks and arbitrage opportunities are. If you could define them, that'd be awesome. Okay. So a decentralized exchange is basically on-chain exchange on directly on the blockchain um, that works with uh, what's called an automatic market maker mechanism. So it's called an AMM and it uses this mechanism to uh, where users can like provide liquidity without like, you know, giving their private keys to someone else. So they basically have control of their funds the whole time. And yeah, it basically just gives a, a more controlled way to for users to, to uh, you know, conduct their swapping activity on chain. Great. Atharva, do you want to throw anything in there? Right. Uh, so I just want to add that the idea of a decentralized exchange uh, is, is, is just, you know, as Alex said, you own your, your funds, you own your liquidity, uh, unless a contract, uh, you know, is, uh, steps in as the intermediary and the contract then owns your funds. Uh, and, and because the contract is sort of verifiable, you don't have to trust it. You know what's going to happen with your funds. Uh, if you're providing liquidity, you can, you know, you see what, what, what's happening with that liquidity. Um, if you're a swapper, it's basically instantaneous. You don't, you know, you, you, you swap and you receive something in return. You don't have to, not all DEXs are based on AMMs. So there can be certain decentralized exchanges that can be based off of a central limit order book model. Uh, there can be other forms of AMMs, you know, that are just some sort of peer-to-peer -peer lending. So there are various kinds of DEXs. We focus uh, particularly on the AMM kind, which is the automated market maker kind, wherein users provide... Uh, Within constant product uh, AMMs, users provide equal amounts of two tokens as liquidity. And you know, when I when I step into swap, the constant product defines basically what the the, the price of the two tokens is. You know, and, and it's fixed relative to each uh, relative to each other. And when I step into swap, you know, I, I I can just sort of you know swap one token for the other from that from that particular pool. And because we were looking at Uniswap and SushiSwap, we just focused on this particular kind of dex, which is the constant product AMM dex. Cool. And I think it'd be great for you guys to outline some of the steps involved in doing the analysis. Perhaps I can start uh, because the idea was to just sort of formulate what we want to look at and why first, and then pass it on to to Alex, who then actually dug into Dune, in, you know, wrote the queries and found out, you know, whatever it is that we that we had to look for. Uh, so the idea, firstly, was okay. Let's look at SushiSwap and Uniswap. Let's try to find out first step how many arbitrage bots right, are engaging on SushiSwap and Uniswap, right? Uh, second, then we try to do a little bit more enhancement on that data. So we look at, okay, relative to arbitrage bots, right, what composition of total swappers uh, on Uniswap and SushiSwap are arbitrage bots? What is the total number of transactions of, that is coming from arbitrage bots versus non-arbitrage bots? What is the total volume of transactions? That is number of transactions times the value of the transactions, right, that is coming from these swappers. And we want to look at all of these kind of uh, factors and compare them for SushiSwap Uni V2 and Uni uh, Uniswap V3, right? So this was the, the, the first step, right? Uh, kind of the, the first part of the research. Next, we also added in sort of sandwich attack uh, bots to, and, and we realized, you know, 
uh, we, we don't just want to look at uh, arbitrage bots now we also want to look at other kinds of bots primarily uh, those being sandwich attack bots and we didn't define sandwich attack bots earlier but the idea of a sandwich attack bot is that basically it back runs and sort of front runs a particular transaction uh, in order to sort of you know, make some sort of profit off of you know that transaction going through and Alex can elaborate on this later but the idea is you know eventually we want to collect the data for you know transaction count transaction volume and composition across sushi uni v2 and uni v3 uh, and see if any patterns emerge Great, Alex. Do you, uh, you want to come in here and tell us a little bit about, more about that data analysis? Yeah, well, I guess I can I can uh, detail the process for finding the arbitrage transactions and sandwich attack transactions. So initially, to identify um, well these bots in general. So without distinguishing between arbitrage sandwich, we just decided to 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 look at the average number of transactions per day for all the users on, on uh, SushiSwap. And we looked uh, at the data and decided that to use 20 as a cutoff. So if, uh, if a wallet is making more than 20 transactions per day on average, then we were going to classify it as a bot. So that was the first very like rudimentary method that we used to identify these bots. Well, the second thing we did after that was to basically see if we could improve on that method. And we were able to do that by directly looking at, at uh, so for arbitrage, we looked at batch transactions because these arbitrage bots will basically exploit pr uh, price differences between different exchanges. And they will do that all in one transaction because that's basically how competitive the, the MEV space is nowadays. To be competitive, you basically have to you know, be analyzing the mean pool and be doing things as efficiently as possible. So these arbitrage bots are basically buying and selling the same token pair for profit in the same transaction. So that's that's what we call the batch transaction method for identifying arbitrage. And then for sandwich attacks, um, what we did was basically find, uh, you know, two separate transactions that are separated by the middle uh, victim transaction, which they are sandwiching. So they basically, as Athava said, a sandwich attack is where they front run and back run a single transaction. So if we can find a transaction that involves buying a token and then two transactions later selling that same token for profit, then we call that a sandwich attack. Cool. Um, I, I, do you want to jump in here, Atharva? So I just want to uh, add over here that it's, it's interesting because uh, we, we used a rudimentary method of identifying arbitrage bots first, right? Which is how what Alex said, uh, find any wallet that is engaging in an average of, you know, 20 transactions or more per day with any DEX and, and then see how many such wallets are engaging with SushiSwap uh, in, you know, in any given day and then look at the data in that sense, right? Now that... This, this is actually a popular way of trying to analyze bot activity. Uh, people just have been using this, this rule of thumb method because it's, you know, th this other method of trying to look for batch transactions where token in equals token out is, is slightly more sophisticated. So kind of uh, kudos to Alex that, you know, he was able to do both methodologies and we were able to compare. And correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but uh, we found out that uh, when we when we look at the more sophisticated method, we actually overlook a, a bunch of bots because we find that uh, with the batch transactions method, the more sophisticated method, uh, the average sort of uh, transactions per 
contract that results from this uh, method uh, is somewhere around between 15 to 17, right? Whereas for the rule of thumb, we use average 20 transactions per day. Uh, so, you know, we could totally imagine, you know, situations where actually the rule of thumb, you know, veers away from what the actual reality is. And so, you know, with the more sophisticated method, we actually get a more clear view of reality. And and, and not just that, uh, so Alex was also able to sort of submit a, a label for arbitrage bots uh, to Dune along with uh, <clears throat> his query. And, and, and that label is actually, you know, it, it was basically, uh, what's the word for it? Sort of accepted uh, by the Dune community and it's, it's there now uh, and it's part of Dune. So, you know, if you do any DEX related analysis, uh, you know, you, it, there's good chance that, you know, if you get the label for a particular address, uh, if you, if that address is unknown, Alex's, uh, tag or label will show up. Woo. And we have a pending, uh, pull request for sandwich, uh, sandwich attacks as well, um, on you, hopefully accepted soon as well. Um, great. So do you want to, I know we touched upon this a little bit already, but do you guys want to explain why this is an important question to answer? And then on top of that share some of the challenges that were faced. Should I take this first, Alex? Yeah, sure. So I, I think this is an important question to answer because we can take a step further back, right? Um, and we can look at the history of uh, MEV, right? So before, you know, uh, before Flashbots, which is a, a nonprofit organization that uh, sort of helps uh, make MEV, uh, you know, minor extractable value uh, more sustainable for the Ethereum ecosystem. So before Flashbots came in, what would happen is you would have, you know, certain arbitrage kind of, you know, certain small, you know, individuals, small shops engaging in arbitrage, but, you know, eventually realizing and, 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 and often sort of, you know, engaging in sandwich attacks and, and, and just, you know, appropriating that value for themselves. Flashbots realize that sort of what, you know, is eventually happening is that these bots are sort of um, you know, forming, you know, trust relationships with miners, maybe even profit sharing with miners so that their transactions are accepted the, you know, the way they want them to. And um, there's a more, there's a fundamental reason uh, for why this is the case. You know, people think, people still think of transactions on the blockchain as atomic, right? Uh, atomic transactions are transactions that, you know, you, you just do your transaction and nothing else matters, right? You know, I can, I can have transaction A, B, and C, in that particular order, or I can have tra transactions B, A, and C, or C, B, and A, right? That any permutation of the transactions, if the transactions are atomic, the ordering doesn't matter. But what matter? But we realize soon that on the blockchain, that the order does matter. The, it, 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 the state matters, right? If I, you know, pull out uh, my liquidity uh, from a particular liquidity pool and then someone else, someone else swaps in it versus if someone else swaps in a liquidity pool and then I'll pull out my liquidity, the outcomes are going to be different. Right. And who gets to decide on the ordering of transactions? Miners. Right. And who benefits from uh, the ordering of these transactions? Arbitrage bots, whoever, you know, sandwich attackers and things like that. Right. Uh, so there is an incentive, right, for uh, these folks to form trust relationships with miners. Right. Uh, so when flashbots started, like, you know, blowing the whistle on this, uh, people started realizing that, holy shit, there's a ton of money to be made. Right. And there was just a, you know, influx of bots on the Ethereum network. So now what happens is that these bots start fighting with each other, right, for the same opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And what and, 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 and what ensues is what, what is called the progressive gas auction, PGA, right? What, what that means is that, you know, 10, 15 different guys are aiming for the same uh, arbitrage opportunity 
and are slowly jacking up their gas fees so that they're, you know, it, it is them who gets to make that transaction, that, that particular arbitrage. In the end, it is the miner, and hence the term miner extractable value, it is the miner who gets to extract most of the value from this arbitrage indirectly through, you know, through just, you know, jacking up of gas prices. And the arbitrage bot makes very little, right? Again, what this incentivizes, one, uh, what happens, uh, this hurts the network because, you know, it wastes a lot of block space, right? Uh, a lot of block space is just going into failed transactions, right? Uh, it jacks up gas prices. It makes user experience just not that great, right? It could lead to congestion of the network in, in the future such that just normal users who want to use a chain for non-arbitrage purposes just might not be able to use it, right? So Flashbots comes in and says, and it could also incentivize uh, certain, again, bots to form trust relationships with miners such that their transactions are included and they make the, you know, some profit sharing off-chain, right? Yeah. So Flashbot says, yeah. Let, let's do this. Let's, you know, create a off-chain market space for arbitrage bots, right? So where, you know, uh, people don't know what the bids uh, uh, they're making are, right? What uh, each other, what other arbitrage bots are making are. Uh, so that you can sort of, you know, make a particular bid and it's blind. It's called a sealed bid auction. And, and you know, uh, what Flashbots does is that it'll put together these various bids and transactions and send a whole built block over to the, to the miner, right? And there has, this, this is a whole very rich history and I, I would encourage the listeners to actually look up Flashbots and, and see what's happening uh, on the back end with regards to all of these arbitrage bots, all of these miners, and then now, you know, uh, proposers, takers, and so on and so forth, and all the intermediaries that fall in between, right? So the question going back to, and sorry for this long-winded answer, but going back to what you asked, Ari, is that what we wanted to find out is that at the very top of the funnel, right, which is these searchers or arbitrage bots, that's what we call them, right? Uh, what are these searchers doing? Right? How often are they engaging uh, with Sushi and Uniswap? How much value are they extracting? Uh, what is the size of the value, uh, you know, what is the size of the transactions that they're engaging in? And this gives us, you know, it, this is a very kind of a what question, right? It's not, it's not a why question. It's not a how question. It's really just what, what the hell is happening, right? And once we know what is happening and the magnitude of it, we can think about, you know, people are thinking about designing DEXs that might limit MEV. People are thinking about, you know, um, how to make sort of, uh, you know, MEV more accessible and, and therefore decentralized. And therefore, you know, there is no centralization vector, you know, that is the result of MEV, things like that. We also want to look at, you know, how does do different DEXs, depending on their architecture, have different um, sort of uh, MEV activity going on. And we can go into that later, but we found that there is differences between Sushi, UniV2 and UniV3 when, when it comes to transaction count as well as transaction volume. Uh, so th these are the reasons why we are pursuing this question. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, if, if I can just add on maybe ch uh, to challenges, I guess, from my side, it was, I guess, using becoming familiar with the June analytics dashboard building uh, process and learning the SQL as well that they use. And it wasn't, you know, like learning SQL basics. That was the challenge. It was actually more um, becoming familiar with working with blockchain data, um, which is quite unique from other types of data, I would assume, most most other types of, of data out there. And also just learning about MEV in general. This was very much a learning process for me as well. So throughout this whole, you know, um, I don't know how long it's been, maybe a month and a half that we've been researching. I've just been learning the whole time. So those were the, I guess, the challenges for me, things for me.
Great. Um, I think we should dive into a conversation about the, the results more specifically. Uh, so it would be wonderful if you guys could outline specifically what were the results that were found and what are the implications of those results? Um, okay. So I'll, I think I'll focus on the, the more sophisticated, more accurate method that we used for the most part. So as I mentioned, our primary uh, analysis using the sophisticated approach was on Uni, Uniswap V2. Um, so we, we discovered that around half of all activity on Uniswap V2 is MEV related with regards to arbitrage and sandwich attacks. Other half is normal, organic, probably human users or, you know, other types of non-MEV related bots. And so coming back to the to that half of MEV, if we look uh, into that more specifically, we see that around half of that is arbitrage or actually just over half is arbitrage and just under half is sandwich attacks. So we basically have a, like an overall split is like, you know, um, if we look at the big picture, it's just over a quarter arbitrage, just under a quarter sandwich attacks, and about half is normal organic uh, user activity on Uniswap V2. Very cool. Yep. So those are the main results. Um, and then we also saw that, I guess, bots are transacting or MEV bots are transacting with quite a lot of capital. The average transaction for an MEV bot is, I have the figures here, for an arbitrage, it's $4,600. And for a sandwich attack, it's $2,800. So it seem, seems like these bots have, you know, some capital to play with. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's also due to the nature of Ethereum. Probably the it's so competitive that you need some capital and also maybe with gas fees being higher than other chains, maybe that's that's part of the reason why this is. Cool. Yeah, I just want to highlight that. Um, so what we see is that, for example, for average daily bot transaction size, right? So a what is the average transaction size daily of a, of any given bot on versus a human or, or, or an organic trade, right? If you look at Sushi, it's about, you know, $7,891 uh, for the average uh, bot transaction size daily, whereas for a organic transaction, it's somewhere around $3,600. Uh, we look at, you know, Uni V2, it's around $5,000 for bot transaction size, around $1,200 for organic transaction size. Uni V3, it's 41,000, you know, on average bot transaction size, 25,000, $26,000 uh, for average daily organic transaction size, right? So it, it gives you an idea that you, we are dealing with one, you know, probably sophisticated players. So you have to be sophisticated enough to be able to write a uh, smart contract uh, in order to batch your transactions, not make any losses. Uh, and two, you know, sophisticated players with deep pockets uh, who are able to just make way higher than average, you know, transaction size, uh, kind of, you know, daily transactions. And that, as Alex pointed out, these players make up, you know, on average, half uh, of total users or, or, or total transactions uh, that are occurring on a given platform. Cool. I hope we don't incentivize any people listening to decide to create a bot now and try to find arbitrage opportunities or sandwich opportunities, that wouldn't be very good. No, but you see, you, you joke about it, right? And Alex and I were just speaking about this. And I think there's consensus in the crypto community that sandwiching is bad, but arbitrage is good, right? Hmm. Uh, sandwiching is almost considered a kind of theft, uh, whereas arbitrage is considered as a necessary mechanism uh, to balance prices across DEXs, 
right? So, and, and this is a deeper philosophical question. Uh, I was just thinking about, well, if sandwich, you know, if sandwiching is theft, uh, perhaps, you know, is it possible that we can call arbitraging or arbitrage bots kind of uh, stealing from LPs? Right. Uh, hmm. It is it is because of these, you know, price rebalancing that LPs, you know, uh, can go through impermanent loss. I'm not sure. It's a deeper philosophical question, but the general attitude is that sandwich bad, arbitrage good. Cool. Great. Um, I would love to discuss a couple more things before we end the discussion today. Um, so what I think would be great is if we could outline some feature hypotheses that this research allows for and maybe underline some of the assumptions that went under conducting this analysis. Um, so people who are looking to replicate this, for example, understand um, the processes that were involved. A highlight from, from what Alex found out uh, using the more sophisticated methodology uh, is that there are a bunch of false positives that would show up. So Alex, you just want to go deeper on, on that with regards to uh, yeah, batch transactions and, and how you got rid of the false positives? Yep. So for identifying the arbitrage transactions or arbitrage bots, for some reason, included in the list of results were all the, well, not all, but a lot of Uniswap V2 pairs and a lot of Uniswap uh, V3 pairs. So that was easy to fix. You just um, get a list of all the Uniswap V2 pairs and Uniswap V3 pairs and just make sure that none of the addresses are in this list of Uniswap pairs. But then we also included in those results as false positives were a lot of router contracts and, you know, um, like aggregator contracts, you know, like contracts for one inch and MetaMask swap and other exchanges like this. Um, so what we did to get rid of that was basically rank all these contracts by the number of transactions that they make. And we saw that all of these router contracts and, you know, other aggregate contracts are making so many transactions that they're all being clustered at the top. And so it makes it very easy to manually identify one by one um, these contracts and remove them. So we manually removed around like 30 um, of these false positives. And, you know, to be honest, I think there's, there's the list of arbitrage bots is around like 9,000. And I'm sure there's going to be other false positives in there, um, you know, for lesser known DEXs, uh, like, you know, that maybe have less transactions because um, we can't, you know, go through all 9,000 and manually check those with whether they actually are in fact um, bots or not. But it did seem like the vast majority after removing those those major um, false positives seem to be arbitrage bots um, when we verify manually on either scan or at least, you know, with the random, you know, random sampling, I guess. And then with regards to the sandwich bots, it actually seemed to be with the random sample, just, you know, going through the list um, and randomly picking out contracts. We, we saw that it seemed to be very accurate. Actually, the only incorrect contract that I identified was the Uniswap V2 router. So we excluded that from the result list and it seems to be uh, pretty accurate besides that. Great. Yeah. When it comes to sort of future research that needs to be done, there's, there's a lot that can be done in this area. Firstly, we only cover UniV2, UniV3 and SushiSwap. Uh, we can look at this data across uh, other DEXs on Ethereum, but not just that, it would be very interesting to look at this data for DEXs that are not on Ethereum. So on, you know, on, on particular, you know, all chains, I think MEV uh, issues are, are uh, likely worse and, and, and you would likely see a higher composition of bots versus organic trades. Uh, so that's my hypothesis on um, smaller chains. So 
one that would be an interesting place to look at two one thing that that we did that i'm curious about is sort of uh what we found using the the more sophisticated methodology versus the earlier the rule of thumb one right in the rule of thumb one with the average 20 transactions per day we found actual wallets that are engaging in average 20 transactions per day uh when we look at the contracts we actually when we look at the the more sophisticated methodology we actually identified arbitrage contracts so contracts that were used for it conducting these arbitrage activity mm-hmm. i'm actually curious about okay you know now that we found the whole list of contracts in the more sophisticated methodology um what are sort of the wallets that are attached to these contracts right and is it uh, is it basically a one to one mapping so for each contract is it usually one wallet that is attached to it or is this multiple uh, wallets uh, you know what's happening uh, on the wallet front of things and how is how are these funds being channeled across wallets so once uh, you know a big arb is made via a contract it you know it passes on it on to a wallet does it remain there does it move around things like that so i think that would be interesting to just look at you know what is the behavior of these arbots and what's happening behind the curtain that, that that's another thing i'm curious about yeah that does that sounds very interesting yeah also um yeah i would be very interested to see the the comp- using the more sophisticated accurate approach seeing the composition of mev versus organic activity on smaller dexes because you know i i think that you know most most human users uh, organic activity is going to gravitate towards the the deepest liquidity and so i think that there might be a lot more mev activity going going on with uh, the lower liquidity uh lower volume uh, dexes because the maybe the humans are driving the activity the, the organic activity um on you know uniswap and then arbitrage bots are keeping up on all the other dexes and so maybe there's a lot more mev proportion wise on the other dexes that would be interesting to see and then also just um I want to mention that I think we we might also have a a bit of a overestimation in our MEV figures because the way we worked it out was so we basically identified a list of all the arbitrage and sandwich dresses and then we looked at the trades on the decks that we were interested in which in this case was Uniswap V2 and any any trade coming from one of those addresses one of those sandwich or arbitrage um bot addresses we identified as mev but i think that could be that could result in a bit of overestimation because um some of these transactions by these um mev bots might not actually be mev related maybe it's just standard profit taking or normal swaps so the fix is easy it's just to directly identify arbitrage and sandwich uh, transactions instead of the addresses first and then the transactions so i think that's something we could just look at improving in the future great very very interesting stuff i have to say today's podcast has been a boatload of information i'm sure the listeners are totally enthused to get their uh their data analytics skills improved and start doing the analysis themselves um with that said i'd like to end the conversation today so big thank you to for coming on the podcast today Thanks Ari. Uh that concludes our conversation. So if you like this discussion, please consider giving it a like and subscribing to our podcast and YouTube channel for more videos like this. If there's a specific topic you would like to hear, please let us know um in the comments or by sending us a message in the Economics Design Discord chat. Thanks everyone.